Hey everyone, Valerie here with the Ladies of Kamikaze podcast. Tonight I am joined by two of the other Ladies of Kamikaze to discuss the controversial ending of Game of Thrones. Now, before we get into the discussion, I just want to have a spoiler and content warning. We're going to be talking about the end of the series, so that means everything including the books is fair game. Additionally, I also want to put a content warning out there. Game of Thrones is an adult show with very adult themes, so please keep that in mind before listening. And now, let's get on with the podcast. I'm going to have the ladies introduce themselves. Hi, this is Elise. And this is Erin. So, ladies, uh, now that the show is over and we've been able to see the complete arc of these characters over eight seasons... The responses to the finale have sort of ranged from calling the show a sexist nightmare to sort of lauding it as one of the most modern feminist shows of our time. Now that a little time has passed and we've had some time to really think about our feelings, I wanted the opportunity to sort of start off by asking, ladies, how are you feeling right now? Oh boy. I know. It's a big it's a big question. It's a lot it was a lot to take in and it was a lot of um a lot of time, right? And one of the things is that it really is eight years or maybe even more because there's more than a year in between seasons. So you've been kind of with these characters for... About a decade. Almost a decade. Yeah, near a decade. And you've watched them progress so much. And I think a big piece of this too is do you want to let the end define these characters for you or not? And that's a thing that I've been struggling with. Particularly because before the finale, I did a rewatch. So I wasn't just experiencing like the finale sort of in a fresh way. I was experiencing the whole arc in a more current way and then really, really feeling the changes. And then when you got to the end, really feeling like, I don't know if a lot, some of these choices are what to me felt like the character. I have to totally agree. I feel like trying to judge the whole series and who these characters are has to be informed by the whole series. Because if you look at just the end, I, I have mixed feelings <laughs> all the way through. Um, but mostly I feel like for better or for worse, we got a little more of a traditional Hollywood style storytelling at the end. And while some of the characters had progressed to a point that you can't, you can't take back, like they don't lose all of their progress necessarily you shortchanged some of the real growth that you then kind of rushed to the end on and so I'll give an example uh, so to get us really started on this I yeah. think this is my biggest thing um, for example for this is Daenerys because when you look back at her arc and this villain turn that she takes there are ways to justify that this was always going to be the way she ended up. And in fact, the writers in the final few episodes make sure you know that by having characters tell you all of the times that she was kind of a creepy dictator and like, you know, set a bunch of people on fire and crucified a bunch of people and handled things in ways that veer towards uh, antagonistic and crazy, right? They tell you that and it's all true. But that's not the way the story had been edited up until that point. Interesting. Right? <laughs> like, they had edited all of those moments as heroic. And so when you get to this final thing, you didn't show enough of her descent into madness. You just told us all the signs that possibly she was crazy. 
Shudder in a cave and didn't even let us see that, right? She mm-hmm. has these defining moments that, yes, are justifiably the turning points for how she kind of devolves into madness. But we don't get to see her grieve Missande. We don't get to see her grieve her babies. We just are told, again, told she's grieving. And then we see her looking hollow-eyed and nutso. Yeah, it was like the, um, I, I, I was calling it, it was like she has her Kill Bill moment. Do you, like If you remember in the Kill Bill movies, they had this like, this signal, right, for when the bride, when Uma Thurman's character was like about to go crazy. Like the screen gets red and they play the music. Right. It's like, yeah. And, like, you know, like, okay, she's about to lose her shit. And that's kind of all you got with, with Daenerys as well. And all of a sudden, she's sitting on her dragon. She gets crazy eyes. And then this character that you knew for all this time, while, yes, they had kind of seeded things, I feel like, and I'm, I'm sort of trying to think back to see if I'm misremembering anything, but her previous violent behavior was never against innocence. And I think... You know, she was always trying to either liberate people, yes, in her own way, and yes, in her, we can get into sort of like the colonialism of that. And uh, but you know, she was always going after slavers or you know something like that. But the King's Landing pieces, where you really see she doesn't she doesn't care. She starts burning women and children and people who really had nothing to do with her journey to the throne. And I felt like that was a difference. Right. Her only previous kind of close clue was the Tarleys. Right. Right. And and they're still her political enemies. Right. But it's the only time where somebody's like, wait, 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 you're going to do what? Like, isn't that a little extreme? So then here's my question is let's now reframe Danny as if she were a male character doing these things. And the reason I ask this is because a question that I've been asking myself is, so I've been very disappointed with like the way that her storyline ended. And I realized that personally, because of my own like wrapped upness about, you know, how women are portrayed, I was really rooting for her because I wanted to have some great story about a woman. And if the character had been a man, would I have caught on sooner? that maybe there was something darker going on. Do you guys think that that makes a difference? I think a little bit. I do think that you allow those behaviors to be seen as heroic in part because it was so surprising to see a woman enact them and it felt empowering, right? And she had been literally sold into her first marriage. So she's, she's been a slave in her own way briefly granted like microseconds right but you know she's she hasn't had the easiest upbringing and so so you see all of those things in slavers bay as really empowering i think that again her ending to me could have been still super satisfying i feel like it's okay to show that she's so complex that she's actually not a great ruler either i mean if you think about it also her claim to the throne is still all the same feudal bullshit. Right. For all the talk of break of quote breaking the wheel, it's her claim is exactly still that. I actually didn't want to see her on the throne. Right. This belongs to me from birth. Yeah. So from that standpoint, her ending didn't bother me. I think it was that I felt like they took a major shortcut with the character and really were just kinda like, Well, we need to wrap this up in an episode, so uh, go crazy. 
Jon Snow will have to kill you, and there, then, then, then we've got well, that. We, we tie the bow off on that. Before Jon Snow kills you, Tyrion will hopefully explain all the times that she actually did right, things that yeah. were kind of nutso, and explain to him why this is not going to get better. Yeah, poor exposition, Peter Dinklage will be doing. <laughs> we'll be doing a lot of work in the last like two episodes. He'll be playing the role of the exposition fairy. Yeah, comes yeah. In and, um, but this does bring about um, sort of our major theme that, that we were planning on talking about, which is this desire for and claiming of power, right? So we see what happens to Danny, and maybe it's a story about, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely, or her inability to, well, maybe just her blindness for the power. But she's not the only character especially female character in the series who is trying to gain some sort of power, whether it be for themselves specifically or out of loyalty to somebody else or to a ruler. How is Danny's story different and what other characters could we compare it to? Well, Danny's story is about being a zealot, ultimately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not just power. It's this idea that you have some sort of divine right first to the throne, but then to this idea that she's going to change and save the world. And that's the point where John, like, finally figures out what he has to do is when she says that other people don't get to decide what's right. We get to decide what's right. right? Yeah. And that's the turning point for him. Whereas some of the other ladies who want power, yeah, that's... Yeah. I think, you know, when you think about Cersei and why she wants it, her motivations are really different. She's almost the other side of the coin, right? Whereas I think Danny is sort of coming at it by birthright. Cersei is incredibly aware that her her birthright is not to be in power. She knows that when she was, you know, a kid even from, like, when they show these flashbacks of her as a young girl... She knows that she's not going to be, you know, the one in power. And yet, she does everything that she can in her way, because I don't think her, you know, to, to try to earn it. And she kind of has her, she has her own sort of single-mindedness about that. But rather than coming at it from that, the, you know, I'm owed this, she is intent on seizing it. Well, and initially, even to take it the way that women seem to traditionally in that society, which is, yeah, you can be the figurehead, but right, everybody you can be the, knows the, the queen regent that I've got the real say in things, um, right? So, and and she also does it for a really different reason. Danny, in theory, is all about saving the world. And Cersei is completely inward. It's about saving her family and preserving yep. this family and controlling this it. Dynasty. Yeah. Yep. Right. And it is. It's interesting because right, she's the oldest child, but because she's a woman, automatically everything is set out that she'll just get married and she'll have babies, and that's her way to power. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I agree. I think she really is an interesting study in somebody who tried to like earn it as much as she yeah. could. Yeah. Yeah. But that's also, I think the seeds of her self-destruction yeah she can't maintain all of the faces anymore right right to finally have the power means you can't be focused on your family all the time and all of those things that you wanted that final child who may or may not I mean I guess was real yeah I I know I still am I I mean I think ultimately I, I I figured yes because that is actually for the the writer's 
that always does seem to be the one redeeming quality. And I was not quite sure if, if at the end I was like, are you trying to get me to feel sorry for Cersei at the end? Because she does seem genuinely scared and she does seem genuinely upset. You know, she's not going to have her kid and, you know, the whole palace comes down on her and all that but i don't know that that was always trying to be the one the one redeeming point of cersei is she loves her children right all these monstrous things that she does well it's interesting right her children she loves her children cersei is played off as a villain from day one right yeah right so her desire for power is almost what makes her well which is so interesting because I think I feel like, it, and actually, so ultimately, I'm sort of looking at my list of, of female characters here and I say that every single one of them has their power is the common theme for every single one of them, and every single one of them has their own journey or way that they are trying to seize power. And so I feel like going from Cersei um, has made, was making me think of Marjorie Tyrell. Right? She's actually just as manipulative. Oh yeah. She's just as power hungry. Mm-hmm. But she does something about her. Is it is it that she does it with a smile? Is it that she is more gracious? She goes out and she like meets with the poor. That everyone thinks she's very sweet and kind. Like and you know people love Marjorie, whereas they see Cersei as a bitch. And so, what's the the, the people meaning the people the subjects the people of, they, of King's Landing? Yeah. But but also I feel like fans. I mean I think I feel like fans. Like Marjorie. Really? I think so. Mm, I don't know. I know. <laughs> um, I think the other thing about Marjorie is, though, that, right, it's how... She, so they are really similar, um, and, and it'll be interesting to talk about the other... There, I think in addition to everybody, all of these women are trying to get power. It's different kinds of power. Right, yes, exactly. Right, but Marjorie's looking for the exact same kind of power that Cersei is, which is, like, let's be in charge of everything. But again, behind the scenes... I think the big difference is that Cersei was Marjorie 20 years ago. She was a beautiful young thing. They had just defeated the Mad King. This was like the symbol of the new Westeros. New Westeros, same as the old Westeros. And so, I, again, this is one of those things where the, I don't I don't think the show maybe shows you that as well as the book probably That's does. That's true, yeah. But right, We've also both read the books. Right. Yeah. Marjorie is just the new Cersei. And so eventually people would have hated her too. But right, it's also really transparent if you've put your very young child on a throne that you're trying to take that yeah. power. Whereas Marjorie can hide behind, well, I'm just, you know, doing my wife. I just job. got married off into it. Like that's how I got here. And she yeah. has a thing that Cersei never had, which is the most powerful political ally you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Elena Tyrell, perhaps the fiercest woman in the entire yeah, show. Yeah, she's she's actually for for all that you know, we say Cersei and and uh, Marjorie are sort of strategic. Like Elena is the the master, and I mean, and, and gets to even die throwing it in Jamie's face. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She goes out on a high note. Yeah, so, you know, like yeah, when you want to talk about like who's the real head bitch in charge, it is Elena. Yeah, it's <laughs> Elena. Yeah. No one can really keep up with her, but she, again, you know, I think for the Marjorie, Cersei, Olena triad, really, they all get hung up on the family stuff, and it actually is what ends up dragging them down. You know, they can't look past that, like, super insular 
vision, and so that's what defeats them. Whereas, and then Danny's sucked up into this this other side, where it's like it's the vision is too big. So is that, and, and I guess, and I'm only kind of thinking of it now. Is is that again another illustration of the wheel? Like the wheel is breaking them as well. Yes. And so through the whole, so that that theme, even though it's kind of just thrown at you at the end in this super heavy-handed metaphor of like Drogon melting the chair and all that. <laughs> It's actually, yeah, I know. I have so many questions about that scene. Everyone has so many questions about that scene. But it's actually larger scale. In the very least, George R.R. Martin, uh, you know, tried to weave it in because it's in the the earlier seasons is where you kind of see it more subtle. It's a little more subtle. Well, and even all of those weird spirals that they never explain from the Night King, etc., you gotta feel like there is a wheel theme, and then they would they would like I don't know what to do. Yeah, <laughs> and then gotta end it. Don't gotta end it in it. this season. But you know, so 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 thinking about some of our other ladies, I think I don't want to talk about Sansa yet. Yeah, yeah. So that's <laughs> yeah. So that's like the King's Landing crew, and right. then I, and then Sansa Sansa's kind of an ending thing. And yeah, I think we'll get to why. So yeah, maybe shifting gears a little bit, we can talk about. Some of our other ladies, maybe the Sands, because I feel like that's actually a good yeah yeah transition. Because there's still that weird family thing, right? They're still kind of obsessed with the family name, and they're a complicated family too, because they're not a hundred percent blood, right? Or they're they're all they're not Oberyn's they're kids. all yeah, and they're, they're not all a lot. And she's kids, his so. mistress, yeah. So it's not quite as like packaged up as like the King's Landing crew in terms of very clear delineations of family. Well, they're all stands for a reason. Right. He doesn't have a wife. All of his children are yeah. bastards because that's how Oberon Martell rolls. That is how he rolls. <laughs> <laughs> Till the very end. <laughs> but I feel like they are a group that could have been so much more interesting, but again... And, the, and are more interesting in the books, right? Yeah. Because, the, the, you know, the books yeah. are sprawling and we're following every single character and it's also why they're not finished and, you know, why we may never know how George R.R. R. Martin really yeah. wanted to end it all. Yeah. But you do get to, you know, have a little more complicated backstory into why the way they are, you know, what they believe in, what they value. And here you're just kind of like, they're badass assassin ladies from a foreign-ish land. Right. They use poison and... Seduce men, and yeah. that's that. Yeah, they're yeah they're the sexy spy ladies, one hundred percent. And I mean, and 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 so much so that the show actually forgets that some of them are in still in prison at the time that Daenerys takes down King's Landing. Like, right. I assume they're all killed in the rubble, but we don't even get like a little nineteen seventies sitcom. Like what happened to the rest? Like see them, see them in that, see them in the cell, and like a rock fall, like rocks fall on them or something, just to just as a reminder. There's still some female characters out there you forgot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. They're, right. Well, we, well, we can assume they're dead. It's like a little unfair, but you know, again, they're. I think that for them, they weren't necessarily planning to take political power, but they felt like they had to because we got to protect the family. Yeah. Well, and because they they were so they were so wronged, right? Their family was so wronged, over and over and over. Yeah, and over. constantly. So I want to talk about because um, we're talking about sort of the families, but maybe someone who doesn't fit exactly into the one of the families would be Brienne of Tarth, because her story is one that's pretty different from the other people that we're talking about because she's not necessarily searching for 
power in that she wants to rule anyone, right? Her power that she's sort of looking for is different. She wants power over herself. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and there's a, and I think there's a couple characters like that. Gilly. Mm-hmm. Yara. Yep. You know, so I feel like you can kind of, there are these like clusters of like what kind of power you're looking for. But Even Arya. I yeah, mean, Arya. Well, then let's talk about them and their kind of power. Yeah. Oh, man. Brienne, her story ended in a really tough way for me, I have to admit. Why? Like, I... I really wanted different how, from her character. How, not to like, like feed you. Yeah, like no, this. I really, I, was, I, I think we probably agree I was on actually this. Super, <laughs> I was actually super bummed out that she and Jamie just fell into this heteronormative thing and that it ended. The last we see of Brienne, and I know we get like the fan fiction ending in King's Landing where like, oh, look, don't worry about it. All your faves are here around the table. Like it's all going to be okay. But to me, I feel like her story... Oh, or her writing in the Knight's book about Jamie and not maybe herself. Okay, yes. Sorry, <laughs> like that was my big beef, I think, with her entire storyline is she is the first female knight. Yeah. Ever. Yes. And there's this whole emotional scene where Jamie like knights her and as you were just explaining, Elise, what what do we get? What, what how does how does this end? I know, but uh, her her devoting cr- her time and her writing all about finishing Jamie's story. But also the scene that really, I didn't, it really kind of, it was painful for me, was the scene where she's standing outside in the snow in her robe while Jamie is getting his horse back ready to go and she's just crying and like begging him to stay and like, I don't know, I just, it's not that I necessarily felt like it was out of character per se but that's not what I wanted for their relationship and it again just felt like such an oh like all of a sudden we took this character that we've spent all this time building up into strong and loyal and fierce and I felt like that scene was none of those things it was just Another woman. Tropish. Another, yeah. Another woman being left by a guy she just had a white night stand with. That she just had, yeah. And, and I, and, and frankly, because I didn't really want them to get together anyway. Like, I was, I, I, to, to borrow Foybe's phrase that I learned from her, like, I bro-shipped them so hard. Like, I loved their friendship. And as two people who, frankly, didn't ever have any friends before, like, they're each other's kind of first, I mean, beyond Tyrion for, for Jamie, but you get the sense that Brienne didn't exactly have a lot of friends. Right. And so they're each other's kind of first friends outside, for Jamie too, outside of their family. And I, I guess I kind of just wanted that. I wanted them to have a closeness that didn't necessarily go to sex. So what's funny is that, though, that's what actually makes it super real in a weird way. Right? Yeah. Like this is exactly the kind of mistake that people who have no other friends and are both heterosexual people make, usually when they're much younger than yeah. Jamie and Brienne. But, you know, Jamie's only lover is his sister, and Brienne's had none. So it's, it's all understandable. I guess for me, that scene wouldn't have been so bad. For me, it was the, the way that Jamie's arc ended that made that Oh, so I have bad. a whole, yeah, I have a whole feeling about we're that, too. To we're not here to talk men. about Jamie Lannister, but I have feelings Right. That are strong. But that's enough for a whole other podcast. <laughs> right. And so I don't want to drag us too far down that road, but I do want to say, like, I feel like if his arc had been to do something else, right? If it had been to kill Cersei or do something yeah. other than just be with her, that could have made that scene 
really powerful because when I, I read somebody's argument that her tears aren't for her, they're for him and all these horrible things he's saying about himself, right? That it's not that she's crying because he's leaving her so much as she's crying because he considers himself irredeemable. And so it would have been interesting to me if he was going to do something that proved this person they had given a redemption arc to right. through the whole thing if he'd actually like changed and then it just all resets to the beginning was yeah. very weird. Instead, instead you just sent the heroin addict back to have his last hit of heroin that ultimately kills him. And right? so that's that's what I got out of that. To bring it back to Brienne, it just it makes those tears wasted completely. It's like why bother even showing us that scene. But I think she's an interesting character because she is just trying to figure out how to live life on her own terms. And she knows that most people think of her as freakish. Her only previous real romantic interest, not entanglement, because it couldn't be, is Renly Baratheon. Right. You know, she literally falls in love with the equivalent of a tiger beat cover. Right. <laughs> right. But who's, right, he's, and, and, and he's who's, a pretty boy who's unattainable. And in this case, it's because he's actually gay. But and ultimately sexually non-threatening to her. That's right. What I'm, this is what I'm saying. He's yeah. literally, he is sexually non-threatening. He's not interested in women. He's very pretty. He's... And he likes her. And, and he, he and he gives her, he gives her favor, right? He, he treats her with respect. Yeah. He actually also... De- he doesn't officially knight her exactly, but he comes pretty close. And yeah, think, she's the, his king's guard. Yeah, I think the big the big issue is his isn't real because he's not the real king, right? But yeah. Because Jamie's a knight himself, he can make another knight and does. So you know, she's she's just interesting because she's kind of a weirdo, and all she wants is to be left alone to be the weirdo she wants to be. And so even though, yes, the crying is terrible and, and all of that, I do think, even with the little fan fiction ending, it's nice that she did kind of get yeah, to where oh, she yeah, has to be. totally agree. accepted on her own terms. Yeah. I mean, by the end, I was actually fully embracing the fan fiction ending because I was like, you know what? I do want my faves to be okay. Like, I want to know that Podrick Payne has a job and is still alive, like... And making all the remaining women in King's Landing very happy. It right. did kind of yeah. help. <laughs> it did. I mean, for me, it helped the state because literally at one point I go, I, I just pick Brienne. She's the only one I care about to make it through. <laughs> Don't die, Brienne. Yeah, yeah. You do. You do start to have. You're like, I'm gonna be like, it'll be okay as long as like Blank. these three people are okay. Yeah. So now that are we are we ready now to tackle? The Queen of the North, the Stark sisters. Yeah, the Stark sisters. Oh, both of, all yeah, the yeah, we should yeah, talk about do all of the Starks. Them. And actually, but let's start with Arya. I just feel like like Sansa has to be the the wrap up, right? So, so Arya, like Brienne, is very much a weirdo who wants to just go be the weirdo she wants to be. She's just way less self conscious about it than Brienne. Yeah, I mean, from when she was from when you the first second you meet her as a character. She's, you know, Sansa's like off embroidering and she's showing up her brothers on the archery range. So it's, it's, she's a character that from the very beginning, like very much knows what she wants to be and what she doesn't want to be, which is a lady. Yeah, she really actually, it's for somebody who, she changes a lot, like she grows a lot in one sense, but she actually never wavers from what she wants to be and then becomes it. Of all of the characters, that's, She's the most stead of all the characters who have major arcs. I should say she's the most steadfast in who she is. I mean, yeah. Sir Davos Seaworth will always be 
your dad friend. But, <laughs> but like, that's his job. You know, I think, you know, when you think about is she feminist, she's, oh, she borders on a Mary Sue of feminist. I know that George R. R. Martin is not a woman, but. Right, 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 right. <laughs> No, well, I think, and and her her power search, right, is again the power of freedom, which is again so literally slapped like at you know at you at the very end where she's on you know she's on a ship sailing off into who knows where to see what happens when the map of Westeros ends, which has always been kind of again this shortcut for for freedom. But it's driving off into the sunset, like it's it's. Isn't it like the elves going into the? No, never mind. No, no, well, not exactly because she's going, yeah, they're going to kind of retire. Right. And she's going to finally have freedom to explore and do whatever she wants. Right, and not being under sort of the Stark banner, maybe to a place where the name Stark doesn't mean anything. Although she does go, she she does go off under the Stark banner. So there's still pride. Mm -hmm. You know, I think she's still proud of her family she's still part of the pack i mean that's like the whole that has been also the whole theme for them is like the pack has to stay together to survive but she still wants her freedom within that and so i think for her that's the power that she's always searched for but she's also it's weird because you don't really notice it because she's so busy learning how to be a badass murder but she's learning how to murder in a way because i think the other thing she's weirdly looking for is a kind of safety but yeah, it's a oh, safety yeah. that doesn't have to rely on anybody else, mm. right? She wants to literally conquer death. She goes to Bravos to learn how to do that. And that, I mean, then that starts uh, at the very beginning with her dancing lessons. Mm-hmm. And um, favorite in our, <laughs> our watch crew, Cereal Pharrell. The men in the crew all had this theory that he was going to that he was he was various other characters. Yeah. That had At the survived. end, someone would take their face off, and it would be Serial Pharrell again. <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, I'm demon." <laughs> um, but you know, this this like conquering death and just being a, able to face whatever's next and save herself. I well, think. and her and her list, right? She literally she's got a list. I need to murder all these people. And then my family and I will be safe. Right. So she's the Avenger. Yeah. But the, right, it is. It's also about, like, if I just eliminate all the threats. Yeah. Then it's... Because it's, you can come off the list, right? When mm-hmm. you're not a threat anymore. Yes. Like, the Hound comes off the list because they become best friend murder hobos. What's also interesting about her is we were talking previously, right, about how, like, Cersei and other women had this feminine role and they needed to use a different method of getting power or protecting themselves, right? That was maybe a little bit more manipulative. Be strategic. And, and, right. Yeah. But Arya... Is a blunt instrument. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or a very sharp one. But yeah. Uh, right. And in a lot or of... Or a needle. Right. So which is interesting is, and I thought about this, is her character could be played by any gender. Yeah. Absolutely. And she's Absolutely. actually, yeah. she's actually, for the most of it, um, even though she's, clearly identified as a young woman, she is dressed in a very androgynous manner throughout the entire show. Yeah. Well, she spends a whole whole season practically being a boy when she first leaves King's Landing. She does, in fact, assume... Or at least tries to. ...for a while. Yeah. But none of the boys are that fooled because ultimately you can't stop puberty. Right. So then what did you think about her and Gendry then and their sort of... 
that was fine with me because it was mm-hmm. just another example of she's like, here's the thing I want to do before I die. You're as good of it as any. Yeah. Let's go. And if he had done that proposal and she turned around and said, yes, I will marry you, then you would be like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Flip the table. Well, that should, but also, like, where did that come from? That would be such bad writing. And they didn't. I mean, in another sense, it was sort of, like, poor Genry. Like, you're pretty, but you're stupid. Man. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, for all for all that they're, like, best buds, he doesn't really, it also shows, like, he doesn't really know her. He still kind of got this narrative, this, this male-based narrative, like, I've got lands now, so now, like, is the time for me to secure my wife and do this whole right. thing without even realizing, like, you are asking right. the one person who's literally, from the moment you met her, has said, I'm not a lady, I'm not a lady, I'm not a lady. And who could unerringly throw an axe across a room. Right. And right, you yeah. were like, would you like I didn't to be spend, my little right, wife? Right. I didn't spend all this time, like, getting beaten by a stick to, to <laughs> you know, to just settle down. Well, you know, and it's also like that idea where he's basically saying, like, you're awesome, you're awesome, you're awesome, and you did all these great things, but now, baby, I got this. You can just relax and look pretty, and I'll take it from here. Good job, though, you did before. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that leaves us now. Now we're ready. Let's do this. Oh, man. You know, I'm of two minds about this, about Sansa, because ultimately, you know, I was like, oh, she got the thing that she had been working towards. She had been, you know, fighting for. She fought her way back home. She had been trying to convince all the people in the North, I should, you know, I'm the Stark here. Like, I should be. So she she ultimately, she got the thing that she had been fighting and working for. However, and I saw this video of Elizabeth Warren and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez because they're both huge fans and their reaction to Sansa and they were saying how they were disappointed. And I was like, oh, let me hear more about this. And their disappointment was in, why didn't she try for the big chair? <laughs> and that was like, and I was like, oh my God, yes. I was like, yeah, you <laughs> know what? Like question. I was so, and I had because lulled. that is a fundamental misunderstanding of the North. Yeah. That, you know, so that I actually like, I can't 100% disagree with that entirely. Hmm. There is no way that they want to be a nut. she doesn't want to be a part of Westeros and King's Landing is really painful for her. Yeah, and I and I do, and that's why I've said I'm of two minds of it because I do get all that and I ultimately think that's the right ending for her. But I do get from a standpoint of all that aside, like sitting there listening to Tyrion be like, and who has the most interesting story here? <laughs> it's Bran Stark, the kid who had a woman drag him through the you know drag him through the snow who you don't even see like where is Mira what happened to Mira Mira didn't get a job Mira didn't get a job in King's Landing Mira didn't even get mentioned Mira's probably back in the swamps like "Eh, oh well good for him I guess like and so the person who's sitting there first of all besides the fact that Arya I think Arya and Sansa have way more interesting stories than Bran everybody has a more interesting story than Bran yeah you're sitting you've got you've got Someone's sitting there who actually has experience. And they're like, nah, let's give it to this weird kid who says he doesn't want to do it anyway. But he also says that that's why I'm here. That's what, make up your mind. I know, I know. <laughs> well, it was weird, it was weird. So but, ultimately I do think Sansa ended up in the right place, but. Well, and, and she has a big chair. She has declared that the North is no longer part of the Seven Kingdoms. She owns 
everything she can hold on to. North of the Wall isn't the place it once was, with no more Night King. I mean, granted, you get to be queen of a, the vast expanse of nothing, but nonetheless, you know. <laughs> you, you the, know. North. <laughs> the North. Right, we've got snow. Um, I know, there's no families left. There's like three families. You get to be king, queen of the reeds, because like, I guess the reeds are still there. Maybe. I think there's some, some, some questionable, I mean, again, we don't see Mira, and I know some things happen at Moat Kalen, but... Right, she's kind of got a blank slate. She's got to rebuild a whole bunch of families from their baby children on up. Yeah. But for me, what's interesting is so, and the reason I want to talk about her last is I feel like she does actually successfully pull off all of these things that we've been talking about, right, in terms of she is very family-oriented. She's very focused on that, and she does use some more traditional feminine ways to seize power. Well, and actually, she starts off as the one person who doesn't want power. She wants to get married. She, like, she wants to get married and just, like, be a queen and, and hang out with her ladies and, like, embroider. Right, like, in when, the truest sense yeah, of what everybody she, thinks the queen is supposed right, to be. Right, she isn't looking for power in the beginning. No, but she wants to be affiliated with it. She yeah. does want to be part of something bigger. She just doesn't want to be in charge of it at first. But so she, I feel like what's interesting about her is she's, she's actually claimed power in this simultaneously super feminine way and this super masculine way of just like saying, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. I am now taking it. And she is the person who makes sure, like, thinking about whether or not everybody gets fed and, like, did everybody get enough rest? There's a very maternal thing Right, there. right. Do we have enough food for the armies that you're, you're bringing? Maybe let them sleep for a few days after fighting the dead before yeah. you ship them off somewhere else. You know, she's literally the mom of the North. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think her arc is so interesting except for this one major problem oh i think i know what you're gonna say yes and so i'll so i'll quote actually um so so valerie had provided us kindly with some pre-reading for this yep and there was this quote in a piece that was done by the british glamour and they said is sansa stark fierce matriarch in the making plotter schemer and ultimate victor of the battle of the bastards defined only by her abusive marriages to Joffrey Baratheon and Ramsay Bolton? And I would have said yeah. no until she herself said yes. Yeah. Right? That scene where the hound she, says, she, yeah. if you'd gone with me, you'd be safe. And she's like, if I'd gone with you, I would not be the person I am today. And, like, while that's kind of true, one, it is so terrible to say that a person who has been through that kind of torture and victimization is defined by their experiences. And two, like, yeah, but even that conversation with the hound, he's acting like he would have been some sort of safe choice when what he was talking about doing to her when he took her was the same things that happened to her with Ramsay, maybe in a less nasty way because Ramsay was, you know, the worst. Yeah. Yeah, I, I read a really interesting article, and I wish I, I actually could point you to it, but someone was saying about how she delivered that line and how that line was written was, the thing to remember is she was already the strong person before the victimization, and it was that strength and who she was that helped her through it. 
It's not that the actions that they did to her made her that way. I wish they had written it. I know. Better. I was gonna say. Right? I, so it, like her, and, and her that, response and could have been exactly. Better. And it's it's yeah. one of those cases where it's the phrasing and who knows if maybe they meant it the other way. But damn, I think like the whole internet like yeah, my yeah. Rage. Well, it's yeah, it's tough because it's true, right? Like the it's it's saying I survived. It should be what she was saying as I survived because deep down I was always this person, but it came off like I was this. I was for I had thing. to I had to be forged. It's it the right. difference between I had to be forged in fire by those men mm-hmm. versus I was actually always forged in fire, but I didn't know it. Right. Until I had to turn inward, right. or maybe, <laughs> or maybe she did know it, but it's not necessarily something that you always. If you're if you're a strong person and your life is going pretty great, it's not like you have these opportunities to show it. I absolutely think in the very beginning she was not somebody who would have thought of herself as a strong person. Really, I don't see. I don't. This is why you two are the experts. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, yeah, I, I, mean, I agree. I mean, she really, to what Elise was saying earlier, it was like, I'm a silly, pretty thing, and I like lemon cakes and embroidering, and I want to have a pretty, happy life. Was very clearly how she thought of herself. Again, and, I, and I think maybe not to say that she was those things, but it's how she thought of herself. And even though, even though her mom was clearly not that, I think maybe she thought that's what a queen got to be like. Because the North is hard, and so you have to be you have to be tougher in the North. But King's Landing, that's like moving to Beverly Hills, right. like <laughs> warm and right. people have lots of money and nothing to do but hang around. You and have, have fun. handmaidens and all kinds of things, and you don't you don't have to do much for yourself. So I don't disagree that the strength was always within. I just disagree that she necessarily knew that about herself. Yeah, no, I think she had to she had to learn it. She didn't know that it was there to tap into. I mm-hmm. think. But otherwise, I think she is sort of, it's very appropriate that she's the person who gets, you know, that she and Arya both get what they want in the end Mm -hmm. because they both really worked for it, right? They didn't let one or the other of things drag them down. They stayed focused and not distracted. And I feel like ultimately all of these other women, not so much Brienne, Brienne sort of gets what she wanted. It's just messy. Um, (laughs) It's complicated. (laughs) Yeah. But I feel like what does Daenerys and Cersei and Marjorie and Olena and all of those other people in is that they get somehow dragged down by whatever's driving them also becomes this colossus in front of them or something, right? Like it's pushing you forward, but it's like maybe too fast. Yeah, yeah. And actually, since you mentioned all those women, I'm going to I'm gonna close us out with my hair thing that I, so I didn't come up with this but I read it someone else had pointed this out so all of those women are women that Sansa has been influenced by and from the start of when we see Sansa her hair always mimics the woman that she's either maybe learning from or being influenced by positive or negative so at the beginning her hair is like her mom's then when she's in King's Landing at first it's like Cersei's then she styles it like Marjorie. At some point, she even styles it like Daenerys with more braids and everything. But at the very end, when she's being crowned, for the first time, her hair is just completely down, straight, unadorned, and it's a blank slate for her to start figuring out her, you know, her own self. Like, she's not being influenced by anyone anymore. She's her own person. And so I thought that was, that for me actually was a great ending. And a great ending for our podcast. <laughs> Yay! So, 
Thanks, ladies, and uh, we'll see you all next time. Hi, everyone. Valerie here. And on behalf of all of the ladies of Kamikaze, we'd like to thank you for listening to our podcast. If you like what you heard and you're interested in checking out more of our content, you can visit us online at ladiesofkamikaze.com. There you can read our blog, sign up for our newsletter, and if you're in the Boston area, learn how you can join us for our various events, including LadiesCon. Oh, and don't forget to follow us on your favorite social media platform. Thanks again, and hope you join us next time.